This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter. Visit enterpriseinspace.org. This is Walter Koenig, Chekhov from Star Trek, and you're listening to Trek FM. Risk is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. My golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original and new cast of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. I am Ken Tripp. And I am Zach Moore, and the band is back together again. It is nice to have people like Tony and Nick to join us when our schedules get a bit crazy, which they have been this month, haven't they, Ken? Man, it has been insane. And, and you know, listen, Zach and I, we're, we're committed to a new show every single week, right? So, And we, we haven't missed and we both had some crazy work schedules, but we have great support and people ready to step up and keep these episodes coming. Yeah, we've had a lot of success lately with March, now the biggest rated month of all time for Standard Orbit and downloads, which is, which is great for us. I mean, it's like, hey, we're doing something right, right, Ken? And, and, a, right. and a big win with a red shirt starship, which is now the highest downloaded podcast in Standard Orbit history. So now we work on another episode that we hope will surpass that show. <laughs> 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 this week right. we, we laugh but we're serious at the same time this week is all about those cuddly adorable slimy scaly secreting <laughs> suction cupping <laughs> monsters of the original series the creatures of the original series iconic in every way and we, we thought it'd be a fun topic to talk about it's an interesting subject really you know you think about it monsters of trek monsters of trek sounds like monster truck ads that you sunday you sunday sunday to... yeah that's right man and it's star trek star trek star trek monsters monsters and you know they've had some pretty cool ones a lot of things that have become iconic and fun and things that we can laugh at because hey you know we we love the original series we love the reboots we also like to have a little fun at their expense from time to time because Hey, you know, it was the stories. Some of those budgets didn't work out so well. Some of them did, however, and especially in some of the things that they've done in newer episodes like Enterprise, where we look at some of our favorite critters and creatures from the Star Trek, the original series, how they've been able to use computer effects to make them look, I guess, a little bit more genuine. But yeah, this is going to be fun. This was a great subject, Zach, and I'm looking forward to getting down that list. Well, to start off, the Man Trap, right? First episode broadcast, first creature mm-hmm. of Star Trek. Now, do you call it the Salt Vampire or the M113 creature, Ken? I've always said Salt Vampire. So that that's what I knew it as. I um, I always thought this was a, uh, a pretty, I don't know, a pretty original-looking creature, wasn't it? I mean, it was uh, it was pretty frightening. If you were a little kid, probably back in that day. Now, when you first started seeing Star Trek, you were fairly young. Did did the salt vampire get you at all, or was it just too silly for you know a mature audience, or what? 
I found it very effective. I mean, I, I equate it to... I mean, I was terrified of the gremlin from William Shatner's... Uh, one of it, William Shatner's Twilight Zone episodes, Nightmare at 20,000 sure, Feet. Sure. And you look at it now yeah. and you're like, oh, yeah, it's like a guy in a rubber mask and a little fuzzy suit. But when you're a kid, that is the stuff of nightmares, you know? <laughs> and uh, I'll say the same thing about the vampire here. It's very, It's a very... It's a very ugly creature, but it's also a very yeah. sad creature. So, like, you can... It's an expressionless mask, but it has expression to it, you know? And we don't see it for very long either, and I think that's also a very uh, effective trope of the episode where it's they save it for the big reveal at the end, and you see it, and you don't really dwell on it because, this, you know, action's happening, Kirk's you know, getting the salt sucked out of him, you know, Spock and McCoy are arguing. So it, it's one piece of the climax of the episode. It's not... It's not like a big, like, look at this thing the whole time. It's, it's used sparingly, but very effectively. I, I agree with you. It has that, um, you're right. It, it did have an expression, didn't it? And, and it did look sad. And you could be almost empathetic if it, if it wasn't so, I don't know, mean, <laughs> so thirsty, so hungry, whatever it was for salt. But yeah, it, it, it did have a very uh, a unique appeal. And it's interesting, too, because it wasn't one of those monsters that came back, right? It was, I know it was the last of its kind, too, so that, that had, but sometimes you'll see things like, oh, I don't know, like Nomad, you know, he'll come around in well, a couple you, of different you ways. Say, you say that, Ken, but we do see the Salt Vampire again uh, in, in the Squire of Gothos. It's, ah, you know, it's in right. Trelane's, one of his, you know, one of his trophies. That's right. That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. That good, good, good catch there. Yeah, that's that's true. I guess uh, you're right. He was on display, but um, or yeah, she but, was but, on display. She was on display. My goodness, you're all over me. But that's good. Let's be accurate here. We have to be. <laughs> we have to know what we're talking about, right? Uh, when it comes to the these listeners, will let us know creatures. if we don't. That's for sure. But uh, but yeah, it it was the last of its kind. So it was um, that added some tragedy to it. You know, watching the episode back through and like imagining that creature. And all the places that, uh, you know, it, the, the people that it's uh, impersonating are, it's really creepy just to think about that thing just, like, standing in the turbo lift or, you know. Oh, I uh, know it, yeah. Or walking on the bridge or part of the briefing room. So it's uh, it's interesting. And we talked about this when we did our Man Trap commentary uh, for the 50th anniversary on the 50th anniversary of Star Trek. I'm not sure what episode that was. Yet again, I've I've failed to look up our previous episode numbers, Ken. So maybe you can help me out while I'm, <laughs> I'm talking here. But uh... <laughs> sure, I can do that as you're talking. Now, just keep talking. Could be another fifteen or twenty. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> stall, stall, stall. Um, <laughs> it, it was interesting because you know, with with the M113 creature, which is what I've always called it, they treat it like a generic sci-fi show would treat a monster of the week and i think that's why a lot of people don't like the man trap because like oh it's killing our people we have to kill it and then you know we'll talk about the horta in a little bit here obviously and they take the opposite approach with the horta like oh we need to understand this creature and oh okay well it was just protecting itself and okay well we're, we're not going to kill it it's you know so it they take a very different approach to, but at the same time it was a clear and present danger to the crew it killed like four or five people in the span of a day which makes me question, like, what's this creature's motivations? Because it went, you know, years just surviving on salt tablets, and then it, you know, it immediately killed uh, not a red shirt, but a blue shirt. It was pre-red shirt, you know, first episode and all. Uh, and then killed, like, two or three people after that. It just went on this 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 bloodlust or, or salt lust, I should say. Uh, and so it's like, okay, what, a little bit of self-control and everything would have been fine. <laughs> but, you know, it just yeah, had but, overstep but you- its bounds. 
Yeah, and but that's that's actually a very human characteristic, right? So, well, first of all, it's episode one thirty-seven tonight on NBC, uh, and we we did air it on um, September eighth, as as we should have, right? And it came out perfectly, fifty years to the day. But now, Zach, when you think about it, there's there's people out there all the time. They go on these these crazy diets. Your body adapts to the environment that you're in. But once you get a taste, you know, it's like alcohol or um, or a certain kind of food. I mean, if you're all of a sudden, you know, how many people out there can eat just one potato chip, right? I mean, this is one of those things. <laughs> if you're just, if you just have a little, and then all of a sudden it's 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 a smorgasbord, right? And it's all there in front of you. I think the resistance is is minimal, right? In in the case of this monster, uh, it had to keep the professor alive. Had to be. Uh, in order to at least just get some from time to time if it needed some, if there were no salt tablets. But then when these people show up, it's like, oh, it's like ringing the dinner bell. And so I, to me, that, that made a lot of sense. It, it, in, intellectually, you say, yes, it should have been able to figure it out, not be so obvious or whatever, but it just completely lost control. But it needs love just as much as it needs salt, right, Ken? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so at all. I thought that was all in his head, to be honest yeah. with you. That, that that was that was completely contrived. But I will say that it was not an episode that began the journey of the understanding of what Star Trek was, is, and, and what it was meant to be. It was one. It, it it was a lost in space episode, although it was done a little bit with a little bit of intelligence. I mean, it was a clever monster. It was the last of its kind, so there was some empathy for it. But it still didn't stop them from you know, killing it and and beating it or, or finding a way to come up with a way to sustain it. You know, I mean, I think if you were to take that episode, and I know we did this the other way. Let's say it's a TNG episode, right? They probably would have found a way to put it into some kind of stasis and found a way to be able to feed it so it could live on its own back down on that planet. It, it, that You know, just because times have evolved. And the show evolved very quickly after that. But it was a, um, it, you know, it was the monster of the week, try to get the big ratings, uh, scary, ooh, you know, uh, here, here's a creature for you to, to kick off the show. You understand the, their intent, but uh, it's 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 an okay episode. It's not one of the better ones, but a very very good creature, very great design, I thought. And uh, you know they they did what they could with it. And you know it was a Doctor McCoy episode, so that's not a bad thing. Well, that's the salt vampire. The next monster that I could find, Kim, was uh, the white rabbit from Shoreleaf. What what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know we saw in um, in Monty Python that rabbits can be deadly, and. Uh, <laughs> What's it going to do? Nibble your bum, right? Yeah, anyway, I'm sorry. I digress. Uh, yeah, okay. Next. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the next one would be uh, the, uh, and I'm not sure what to call these guys, uh, but they're the guys from the Galileo 7. Yeah, I, 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 they, I mean, I, I was very happy that they went on to make uh, Geico commercials many years later. <laughs> so the cave, cave know, we're going to call them cavemen, apparently. So. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> That's what they reminded me of. Uh, yeah, I guess they, were they monsters or were they just, Well, the, the, you know, the planet uh, is called Taurus 2, so right. we could call them the Tarusians, but they were, uh, you know, they were basically like giant Neanderthal creatures, uh, you know, ape ape men almost, really. Like, uh, and we we don't really see, and 
we don't really see them straight on, which is probably a wise idea, <laughs> uh, because, you know, they, they didn't... The scale was a little off in this episode, I think, with these creatures. I guess they might be from different sizes, but some sometimes they're like... It looks like you're standing up straight and he's taller than the shuttlecraft, like banging a giant rock on it. Uh, but other times, like, when he's cornering that one uh, blue shirt, I believe, uh, and, he, and it's like you just see the back of the creature before it cuts to the commercial, the guy's like, ah, you know. It's like that guy's like... That's like six feet tall. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not sure what the, what the scale is. But we're, yeah, I understand we're nitpicking. But hey, that's what we do. Right? We're Star Trek fans. So <laughs> we are. Uh, but but are. again, as a child, I was scared of these creatures, you know, because you, you hear all these these noises and these giant spears. And it's a very it's a very atmospheric environment they created on that planet set. Uh, and again, wisely knowing the limitations of, you know, what they have as far as creatures and makeup and whatnot, much like the uh, salt vampire. Uh, they're like, we're just going to show you just enough to, to get the point across, but I'm not going to like have a close-up. But like, oh, here's the big monster with the rock, right? If the TV show was on today, you'd have like a, a really questionable CGI monster <laughs> attacking the shuttle. Uh, when instead, it's a, it's a tangible, you know, it's like a stuntman with the, you know some, some makeup and a, a bit of a costume on, and it gets the point across. So uh, again, I, I thought that the threat factor was real. Uh, I, I didn't like laugh at it or anything. Again, watching this as a child... It has that nostalgic uh, factor for me where I'm like, yeah, I remember when I was scared of this. Now, if I watch it today for the first time, I'd be like, oh, all right, well, you know, for the 60s, that was fine. So, yeah, you know what? You know what got me watching that episode was there. It, it took a while to reveal, too. And you heard the growls and and it was kind of scary, you know, back back when I, I remember first watching it. And, you know, it, I, the spears, even the size of those things were huge. And, and, and the one shot where the guy gets it, I was like, man, that would have just plowed right through him. But it, it was it was it was well done for its time. I, I, I do. And when I watch it now remastered uh, that episode, especially with the shuttle at the end, it was really, really cool. You know, when they burn the fuel, it, it they it really just has a has a whole new um, has a whole new look to it. They didn't do anything with the critters, the creatures, because they couldn't. But I thought that uh, that episode was was scary. I thought they were a good, um, a good. I, I can't really call them villains, right? Because they're just protecting their home world, or they really don't understand what's going on. Plus, it, apparently, quite a few of them got phasered, though we didn't see it, right? Right. And I don't know if it had any effect or not. But the thing was shooting versus normal. The time, most of the time, when the phasers don't work, they just actually do not work. <laughs> so. You know, there was, it's, it's one of those things too, where you say, hey, yeah, maybe bullets would be more effective than those things. But anyway, we move on. But I, uh, I, I thought they were, they, they were pretty cool. It was, it was a good episode. It was scary. And, um, it was one of those really good, I thought, Spock, McCoy type, uh, you, you know, you really started to see, uh, the lines drawn between their two personalities. Right. Well, you, you needed these creatures to add another sense of danger because if, if they were just stranded there, the, uh, the 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 stress level would not have continued to escalate, and that's what led to these great character moments between Spock and McCoy and, and the rest of the the shuttle crew there. Uh, because I mean, we we got to leave the enterprise. The enterprise is going to leave. We're getting attacked. You know, it's just like all those things combined uh, created a perfect combination of a stressful situation that Spock had to rise to the occasion for his first command. Yeah, yeah. the the only The only problem I remember really seriously with the episode was. When the when the folks did get killed and there was McCoy kept pushing for them to have a service and bury the body, I just would have said uh, it's cremation time and we'll do a service when we get back to the ship. Well, can't you just? I mean, if you're really going to cremate them, can't you just use your phaser? 
when Creed made him right there. That's going. You know? Yep, I mean, that's exactly what I mean. Just, you know. He deserves uh, a burial. Know. It's like, come on, guys. This is not the time of the play. We can come back later. I mean, like, <laughs> that's yeah, not and, the time. And, you know, it's, it's amazing to me that when we, we watch these old episodes and we think about ourselves as human beings, but it's so clear that Spock is right. And you're seeing things through his eyes and you're going, how come they're not more rational? Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, anyway. You guys are being completely but, logical right now. It's frustrating. Um, did we do a tangent? I think we did. I think Sorry. Stand- you know, I, I did want to say I appreciate you guys keeping up the standard standard over tangents, even though I wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I just like the fact that Nick just said that. Yeah. You know, many times. Oh, standard order ten, and then off he go and uh, trademark. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. If we ever do Absolutely. t-shirts, Ken, for our run on standard orbit here, we need to come up with some cool design. We'll talk to Aaron Harvey. We've got a cool standard orbit tangent. Oh, that's <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll stay within the confines a little bit of the subject, but but off we go. Yeah, <laughs> and for some of our other podcasters, you know, who have seen how we do the show and how things are scripted, you would think that we would have everything buttoned up line by line. We know exactly what we're going to do, what we're going to say. Boy, oh boy, when we say those are guidelines, we are not kidding. <laughs> guidelines, much like the CBS fan film guidelines, Ken. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So you went there. Too you soon. Went there. Okay. Uh, moving on okay. to Arena. Uh, this is a great episode. It was been. It's been called the Citizen Kane of Star Trek by some of our predecessors here on Standard Orbit, and I would agree. It's a great episode. Uh, but it's iconic for one reason, and that reason is the Gorn, right? From the, the even even the first shot of him, he turns around. He's like, rawr, rawr, and uh, the sounds that he makes too. But Ted Cassidy, who knew? Ruck from What Are Girls Made Of? The voice of Balok, Ted Cassidy, man doing the voice of the Gorn and uh, just w- so what are your thoughts on the Gorn like does it hold up to you because I know earlier you mentioned when Enterprise updated the the creatures you you liked that so what are your thoughts it doesn't hold up as far as I mean the episode itself holds up for for what it represents it represents Star Trek I think is its finest right who's who's really the villain here and of course you know the Gorn they're not the nicest but you know did they have a right to do what they did and I think that's the whole crux of it but does the Gorn hold up? No, but it's so Star Trek. I mean, it's just, it's everything you think about when you when you watch that show. And you just laugh, right? I mean, it, you can't help it, but you enjoy it. Because, you know, have you ever seen a punch thrown as slow as a Gorn's punch? Or, he's he's you know, a cold-blooded to... reptile, Ken. Well, well, yeah, but, you know, even an alligator can run up to 30 <laughs> miles an hour, you know, for, for a short distance. I mean, it's not like they just don't come out of the water. You, know, you ever see, you know, a saltwater croc? Those things aren't exactly, you know, in slow motion. So at any, at any rate, you're, you're right. It's a cold-blooded creature. I get it. And, and, it, and it worked fine. You know, the best part of the episode was the, the building of the gunpowder and all that stuff. It was, it was very, very clever. Very clever. And, and the Gorn was not as clever, but I love watching the show because it's Star Trek, man. It's just arena is what Star Trek's all about. And, and every time I watch it, I'm saying, this is awesome. And I'm laughing at the Gorn, uh, you know, but the beginning of the, the episode, the way it ends, I mean, it's, it's bookended beautifully and it's, it's very, um, yeah, you know, you, you have what? 30 years later, you have William Shatner and the Gorn playing the video game. You know, if you haven't seen it, you got to look it up on YouTube. It's absolutely hilarious. You know, they're throwing pillows at each other. <laughs> yeah, for the uh, Star Trek video game that came out around the time of End of Darkness, there was a, a tie-in a commercial with William Shatner and someone in a Gorn costume, and it looked just like the original Gorn costume. That's why I loved it, right? They didn't try to update it. It was like, there it is. 
straight from 1960s. Yeah, yeah and, and, you know, when, when they redid it in Enterprise, um, I, the characteristics changed a little too much for me, but it was, you know, it was a nasty creature, and, and, and that thing could move. That, that one could actually <laughs> See, get around it, the ship pretty I, quickly. I do not like the updated Gorn in Enterprise. They just made him like a dinosaur, you know, and... That's fine and all, I guess, but that's not the Gorn. Like the Gorn has a very distinctive look to it, right? It has the the insectoid eyes on a reptilian creature. Like that's a brilliant like combination of different animal attributes that make it a unique alien. So like when they took that away, it just it wasn't quite the same. And you know, I get it. I don't know. Again, seeing this as a kid, you know, I just took it as face value. Oh, that's a Gorn. Okay, uh, I took it as face value. Right? <laughs> <laughs> right, and I can't. I mean, obviously, I remember what what the creature was wearing. You know, the the Fred Flintstone outfit there. <laughs> right. But I don't. It's I don't really shade left and right at the Gorn. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I don't remember in Enterprise what it was wearing. I don't know if it was some kind of a uniform, if it was something similar. But yeah, I mean, hey, you know, that's what I mean. You gotta love the Gorn. That, that was. That was Star Trek. That was, I don't know, you, you know, you, you think of Spock, you think of all these things, but when you think of specific episodes or you think about a monster, you don't think about the salt vampire, right? You, you, you think about the Gorn. He was great. He was awesome. Gotta love it. Vasquez rocks, man. Vasquez rocks. <laughs> well, I'm noticing a trend here uh, when we talk about these creatures and monsters, and, you know, it's just smart television production for the 60s, but... Uh, again, the Gorn, you mentioned in the beginning of the episode, you know, the, the landing party beams down to Cessus 3. They immediately get in this uh, this battle with uh, with an un- unseen adversary, and it's the Gorn. And again, like we were talking about mentally rewatching the episode, knowing what the M113 creature looks like and putting it in the spots that you would have seen it had it not been camouflaged. If you look back at the beginning of the episode... It is kind of hard to to imagine the, these Gorn running around firing you know plasma grenades or whatever they were doing uh, at the at the landing party with, with these kind of you know slow lumbering creatures. Well, hey, they 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 were able to manipulate the communications. They thought the the Enterprise thought they were talking to the to the to the space station, right? And it turned out the whole thing was just uh, completely manipulated by the Gorn. So. The, they they were pretty clever. They they had a, a way about them, and, and you know, so they they could easily be underestimated. And so I guess when you finally see the Gorn after you just witnessed all the the trickery and you know the ambush that they they put on that landing party, uh, it was you know maybe maybe the two didn't really align as much as you thought. But hey, the Gorn is not to be not to be messed with or ridiculed. They, they should have right? had Ted Cassidy do the voice of the like the. Commodore or whoever at the beginning of the episode, like, ooh, beam on down. <laughs> you know that? that oh, yeah, that yeah, yeah, slurping and slurping. Yeah, the obvious. whole way through. I've yeah. heard every word you have said. <laughs> now, I, I always took that as the translator. You know, like, like that's the translator translating what the Gorn says. Like, the Gorns, like, if they sit around talking to each other on their ship, they, they sound like, rawr, rawr, you know, the, the lizard sounds, right? They don't, they're not sounding like we heard him sound. Is that what you took from it, too, Ken? I did. Yeah, I figured that's what it was. I mean, I thought at first, like everybody else, it was some kind of a recording device and you could take verbal notes with or something, but obviously that wasn't the case. And as it went on, and then when he finally did speak, I was like, no, this, that's definitely a translator. Because <laughs> he, never, he, never, he never speaks to Kirk without it. Right, exactly. Because right? the, the other time he's just breathing and slurping and doing all that lizardy noise that lizards do. <laughs> do you have a natural revulsion to reptile skin? You know what? I I do. I am. Uh, I'm not afraid of them per se. I just don't like them. I um, 
I don't know what it is. It's it's a strange thing when it comes to alligators and crocodiles. When I, when I'm down in Florida, or even when I was in Australia, and um, and you see these bad boys. And I remember in Thailand once, I was I was going down a, a river, uh, you know, like a little tour river, and there was a crocodile caught in a net. And this thing, you know, it was it was a Tyrannosaurus Rex. The thing was huge, <laughs> and you just realize, you know, you don't have a shot. If you know when it when it comes to these things, so they are very very intimidating creatures to me, and um, you know the Gorn was probably a little less intimidating than some of the uh, saltwater crocs I've seen. But I'll tell you, uh, yeah, I, I guess they're 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 a little spooky. They're a little scary. You know, I'm more afraid of like flying roaches than I am of crocodiles. I probably shouldn't be, <laughs> but I just I find insects disgusting. Uh, yeah, well, I, I'd like to see what happens when you swat one or the other. You know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, crocodiles can't fly in your mouth if you're not careful. So <laughs> No, but you can fly in theirs. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. Um, yeah. So moving on to our next uh, monster of Star Trek would be the Horta from The Devil in the Dark. Uh, obviously, this episode... Uh, it, the Horta is killing miners. It's a mystery. Again, they're, they're concealing the creature. It's, it's, it's always a big reveal when you see these creatures. And, uh, you know, I remember this is, this is Devil in the Dark is probably the first episode of Star Trek I remember watching. It, it's, it's because I've, I've watched Star Trek my entire life. So it's hard to think about like, what was the first episode I saw? But this is the first one I remember seeing. I remember like going to Space Center Houston that day with like my parents and we came home and watched Star Trek. And that's like my first definitive memory of watching um, Star Trek, and in my head I was thinking like, oh, it's Devil in the Dark. I envisioned like some kind of like gargoyle creature going around killing these guys, right? Uh, and then you see it, and you're like, what? What is that? <laughs> so it's a, it's like a, you know, it looks kind of like a pizza, right? That's what I <laughs> always equated it to. Pizza, pizza the Hut. Pizza, yeah. pizza the Hut. <laughs> yeah, it does. I guess I, I remember the well. First of all, another great episode, right? vintage star trek and and it is funny that these creatures get get pulled into it and become such a strong part of it but i i remember that scene before they really displayed what it looked like it almost seemed like it 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 stood up right as it was yeah it like reared up and like squashed squashed yeah yeah that that so you know when when they showed it for real you were like huh you know how, how did how did that how did it do what it did but it was brilliant uh in terms of I guess of how they did it, and and you know, was it? I I think it was probably the first real alien monster, right? Because it didn't have arms and legs. Yeah, it was and, a non-humanoid creature. Yeah, that's right. There wasn't, you know, I know there was somebody, you know, rolling underneath. It probably had one of those little, you know, four wheels or something underneath. You know, like a stunt person would have when they're getting pulled by a car, that type of thing. You know, when you think they're sliding around, but. I thought it was it was really really well done, and um, it was believable in the sense that you know I had a lot of uh, empathy for the thing. You know, what I mean, it wasn't it wasn't as scary during the big reveal, and you can go, yeah, you know, it it it, it looked kind of odd and and all of those things. But at the same time, I love the whole whole idea of what it could do because it was unique. You know, it secretes all this. I guess acid or whatever, and it just burns through rock, and it just it sails through it like you know a warm knife through butter, and uh, you know the whole egg thing, everything about this episode I thought was outstanding, and I thought the um, the scenes with Leonard Nimoy in particular, uh, communicating with it, you know I, I remember 
before I really understood it, thinking it was a little silly and so forth as a little kid, because I was little. But as I've watched it over time, I was like, man, this was this was pretty good. I, I, I They did a nice job with this. Well, to speak on who played the Horde, it was actually Janos Prohaska, uh, who was a stunt man. He actually went on to play another uh, creature in Star Trek as well. We'll, we'll. we'll get to that a little later on our list. But uh, he actually designed uh, the Horta costume and performed it himself on the show. So there was a guy under there shuffling around, you know, doing doing his little Horta shuffle. But yeah, it's uh, it, it was it, it, none of these again, none of these creatures, and we we both look back on it with different points of view and laugh at some and are still scared of others. But uh, well, maybe not still scared, but can remember being scared. Uh, they n- none of them undermine the episode, right? None of them like that's like. You mentioned Lost in Space earlier. Just it's like a conceptual thing with the man trap. You go, you go look at shows like you know Lost in Space or or even and I love the Twilight Zone, but even some Twilight Zone episodes, you're like, yeah, that that kind of undercuts what you're going for there, guys. But none of these Star Trek creatures do that. I don't, I don't think they. I, I think the stories are strong enough around them where you, it's not dependent on the special effects. It's dependent on the story, and that's what Star Trek strength always is. And it just shows that we can we can look back at these 50 year old TV shows with these, you know goofy looking aliens in some respect but it you, the story still comes through just as strong as ever oh it did it did it's um like i said it's it's pure star trek great creature great great concept great everything and um it was it was scary up until the reveal though it really was because you just did not know what this thing was doing and what it could do and um and again star trek flips the script on you in the end right you know and uh it was it was just a mom protecting its eggs so, so I went on that whole rant just now about how Star Trek special effects hold up and it's great. And, you know, <laughs> but the next one we're talking about Operation Annihilate, these, <laughs> these parasites are like flying fake vomit, right? I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's like, really guys, like I, it's like a, a misshapen pancake, perhaps a, an egg over easy, you know, just flying around on strings, like in the sounds they make, like, I don't know. I, I mean, it's not the best episode either, so that doesn't help. But um, what are your thoughts on these on these parasites from uh, the? Uh, they're not from Dineva, but they attack Dineva. So just the parasites from Operation Annihilate. Well, I, I think you described it accurately, Zach. You know what? To me, I I, I actually did like this episode uh, because it made me uncomfortable. Uh, I, there was tension in this episode, especially with his nephew, and. The idea that, you know, I, I don't do well with children in jeopardy. I just don't, even if it's a TV show like that, or the risk of him dying or, or you know, uh, the fact that, that Kirk lost his brother and his sister-in-law uh, also passed, right? I mean, the poor kid. But it's okay, uh, guys, because Spock got his eyesight back. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's like the, they end the episode, <laughs> it's like... Okay, this this episode more than any other, and we're not here to really talk about the episodes, but but it does tie into what we're talking about here. Tangent. Yeah, but it does. Well, it just shows you the kind of pain though that they could create, right? The manipulation that they did. These these creatures, they look silly, but they had uh, a power, a powerful venom, uh, a controlling mechanism, right? And uh, so what they what they could do was scary. I don't know if it reads if it rates the word terrifying. And they couldn't pull it off. I mean, you know, it was it was as phony as you know the trying to make flying bats back in the fifties and sixties in the in the strings and all that stuff. Yeah, it was it was pretty rough. But 
you know, it, it in conceptually, if that episode was to be done today, it, it probably would play really well, and and you could really up up the ante with it considerably. Well, the IDW comics have actually redone Operation Annihilate as a mission for you know, the Kelvin Timeline crew in a comic book, and they and they tweak the look of the parasites a bit more, and they make it a little bit more alien, a little less. You know, it's animation. I mean, it's it's a you know, it's drawn. So you can you, the, the the limits are only that of the imagination as far as far as that goes. They're not constrained by budgets and and practically like how do we make these things work. So that was a far more effective story in that medium than on TV because you you just this one the production value does undercut it. But I mean, you're right. They're capable of some terrifying things. It's just you look at it and you're like, yeah, that's that's a pancake. So. <laughs> it's a pancake. Well, yeah. I mean, they kind of look like cells in a way. I don't know. But at any rate, you're right. It, it wasn't... They, they couldn't execute on this one as, as well as they would have liked. And um, But, like I said, I know you weren't a big fan of the episode. I was. I, I, I thought it was pretty good. A lot of tension. So they might not have been scary, but what they could do was very scary. So the trouble with Tribbles. Do you count the Tribbles in this conversation, Kim? What are your thoughts? Well... Are they monsters to us, Zach, or the Klingons? The Klingons, right? So, I, uh, I I guess I wouldn't, but I think it's fun to mention because obviously to the Klingons they are terrible monsters, right? Do they still <laughs> so, sing songs of the Great Tribble Hunt? <laughs> what a great line! That, that was the best line, probably. Yeah, it was. It was. It was. It was. Uh, it was fun. That was a great episode. A mortal yeah. enemy of the Empire. Yeah, it, that is that is just funny because it, it, I guess the thinking there is, and this is an urban legend, I think, but elephants are afraid of mice. <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of that's the kind of uh, parallel I draw to the Klingons being afraid of tribbles because the Klingons are these big warriors and nothing can scare us, and yet the simplest thing like a little tribble can can get them all you know uh, riled up. And you know, same thing with an elephant uh, allegedly. Right? I've never seen an elephant and a mouse interact. Um, but uh, I, I don't know where that came from, but you've heard that, right? Like, you know, my, uh, elephants are fan of mice. Well, it, they played it quite a bit, you know, on Bugs Bunny and yeah. stuff. So, <laughs> cartoons, know, so. cartoons. So it has, to, it, ha- it has to be real. <laughs> I, I don't know. But, but that's a very good analogy, though, when you think about it. And I think that those are the things that, that, that make you laugh when you have this tough warrior race that, you know, honor and, you know, they're spa- essentially space ninjas. Uh, that that go off and and you know sing songs of glorious battles and there's this little bitty furry purring creature that just you know uh, puts them on edge and <laughs> and they can't stand them so yeah I think that's uh, I I thought that was very cleverly done it's uh, you know obviously Star Trek has gotten a lot out of that that episode over the years but yeah I. Would I consider them a creature in the context of what we're talking about? No, I wouldn't. And and what an easy special effect, right? Like, let's have a ball of fur. <laughs> That's like the easiest sure. thing ever. That special effect holds up by anyone's standards. But our next creature would be the Mugatu, uh, which is basically, it's it's like a, well, it's like a horny albino unicorn gorilla, basically. <laughs> uh, that's the best way I can think of to describe it. Well... That is definitely the only way it could be described. <laughs> Horny albino unicorn gorilla. Absolutely. And, you know, um, Ben Stiller, who was a big Star Trek fan, I remember him hosting, I think it was the 25th anniversary special well, he years was, ago. He was a presenter at the 30th anniversary special, yes. To, oh, at that too. Okay. But I just remember, I didn't know who he was at first, and obviously his fame grew because he was just a stand-up guy. 
way back when and just loved Star Trek. And obviously he named uh, Mugato shows up again uh, in, in Zoolander beautifully, I might add, played by Will Farrell. And um, it, and I remember when, when I saw the movie for the first time, I was actually on deployment and somebody had that DVD. And um, maybe it was just something that was, was, was refreshing, but I remember when I, was, I was just laughing my ass off when, when it came up to the name Mugato. Nobody knew why, except me. <laughs> Right? And I was like, come on, that's brilliant, right? Spelt a little bit differently. But the Mugatu had to be one of the, um, probably one of the worst creatures ever designed in history. You, um, you don't like it? I, I, I love it for, I mean, it's not, you know. You're just it, a hater of Janos Prohaska. <laughs> no, no, Janos. I don't know if you're alive or not, but I don't hate you. But He played the Mugatu here just, as well, so. It's not just a horny albino unicorn gorilla. It's a horny albino unicorn gorilla triceratops <laughs> or whatever. Or stegosaurus, stegosaurus right? Because right, yeah. it's, it's, with venom. it's with, with so it's yeah, like a rattlesnake. The, not only is it, in, in theory, a, a big gorilla that could squeeze you to death, but if it just happens to bite you, you know, it's poisonous. And it's like, well, you know, I, I would think this thing would be ripping your head off and eating you, not just, oh, a little nibble. <laughs> and you've got this really, you know, it's like, oh, okay. But yeah, uh, it was it was unfortunate. But again, iconic Star Trek. I mean, iconic Star Trek. What a, what a great creature. And um, it's, like, it's, like the, it's like the platypus of the Star Trek universe. It really is. I mean, how many different things could you sew together to come up with this? And that blue face. I mean, come on. It was just, it was, it was unbelievable. I believe it had a pink uh, that, face, Ken. Well, I'm colorblind, Zach. So come on, man. Give me some space. Uh, if, I, if I don't point that out, someone will point it out for us. So I just feel the need. To... Was it pink? Maybe, well, okay. I, maybe, maybe, maybe it's me. Maybe it was my TV. Maybe it's, it's my. It's your, maybe your it's black my... and white TV, Ken. <laughs> well, in this, yeah. All right, wise guy. You know, that's what I was watching in the 70s, I hate to admit. But the TV that the kids used to have to watch was black and white because uh, my dad had the color TV for the ball game. And it all was right? square. It was square. And I also not only doubled, I doubled as both his son and his remote. So it worked out really well uh, for the family. Yep, get up and change the channel. And I did. So at any rate, um, yeah, it's yeah. I I, um, I, I love the Mugatu. I'm I'm surprised that that uh, that you're not a fan of it. Can I, I love the Mugatu. I just find it a very creative design because I mean, uh, how many how many times in Star Trek like like you get you got you got to give the original series credit because they went all out with these crazy designs, right? Even dude, even when they miss, I don't I don't you know. hate the Mugatu. I just I think you know, like I said, it's Star Trek iconic. I I laugh at it. That's what I do because it is just so outrageous. And <laughs> you know, it's when you think of '60s and you think of maybe doing a little bit too much LDS, right? Right? When they put this thing together. That that somebody just came up with, and we'll just do this, and we'll put this on it. And you look at this thing, and you just go, what the F were they thinking? And you love it. You love it. Yeah, that's, uh, we got to. <laughs> and if you're, not, if you're not familiar with it out there, listeners, uh, it was actually originally called the Gumatu, I believe. But DeForest Kelly kept messing it up, and everyone kept messing it up. So they just changed it to Mugatu, because they could not pronounce Gumatu. Uh, and in the script, in the script, I believe it just—they just said, you know what, guys, we're calling it Mugatu from here on out. So that's that's a funny point of trivia there. But uh, 
You know, I also, you know, for the Mugatu here, it's not the focus of the episode. All these other creatures have kind of been the crux of each episode, right? Oh, uh, the man trap, you know, we got to stop this creature or Devil in the Dark, we got to stop this creature or, you know, the Gorn is Kirk's main adversary in, in Arena. But uh, here, it just it just kind of there. It exists on that planet. It causes some drama because it obviously bites Kirk and he has to get healed and and all that stuff. But uh, it's not. They're not there like to fight the Magatu. It's just it's just a wildlife on this planet, and they have something completely unrelated to that creature going on. It's just an obstacle in their path, and I like that because you would come across these things, you know, going from planet to planet. So it added just just uh, some richness to the tapestry of Star Trek. Because whenever whenever they go to these planets, they beam down. There's nothing else there. Right, I mean, there's like some plants, some rocks. It's Vasquez rocks Zach, most of the time. <laughs> Zach, you, you just said it enriches the tap a uh, Mugatu enriches the tapestry of the. Uh, maybe you need drug testing, brother. I don't know, man. Does it enrich the tapestry? I I don't know if the Mugatu does that, but you know, <laughs> I don't know. All right, I'll tell you what. You know, I have never, ever, ever. Um, you know, worn a costume or cosplayed or anything like that. Now the challenge, the gauntlet has been out there. We're going to have to put together a Mugatu costume. Mugatu <laughs> costume. We got to. <laughs> <laughs> well said, Ken. Well done. Um, so our, our next creature uh, would be, and again, the Gorn's not a monster or creature. It's an alien, right? Uh, but it's just just the way the way it's presented. It's not just another guy with a beard or a guy with a thing on his head, right? It's, it's an actual true alien monster, if you will. Now, the Tholians, what would you think about them? I did, You know what? I don't count those guys. Uh, they're Vulcans to me, or, you know, I'm, I shouldn't say that way, but they're, you know, well, they're Andorians. They're whatever. You right. Know, they're, they're, Tellarites. They're, yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, something more along those lines. I mean, they're not quite Gorn, um, and I guess you could say Gorn are similar, right, because they're space-traveling aliens, but... Now, in my opinion, I, I never, I, I never thought of them as a scary monster. I looked at them as some kind of weird adversary, and you know, in, in the original series, watching them, and I, I really like the Tholian web. I, you know, they, they were, they were animated, so it was kind of hard to. Eh, yeah, there's only on a view screen, right? Yeah, yeah, and and they had a, a very distinct look. It wasn't until. Um, uh, Deep Space, uh, not Deep Space Nine, Enterprise, where where they really um, show the Tholian. See, right? but I don't, I don't generated, like the Tholian and they, again in Enterprise. I no, it didn't. It didn't work. It just didn't. Because work. I, I had you. this book called Worlds of the Federation when I was a kid, and uh-huh. some of you out there might know what I'm talking about. And it had all these um, like sketches of of aliens, like to scale, and you see different perspectives of of drawings of each alien. You use Klingons, humans, Andorians, Tholians, and Obviously, the only point of reference, because this book is like from the late 80s or early 90s, is the Tholian web. And what they do is they just show the Tholians as crystals, like floating crystals. And you kind of just assume oh. they have some kind of telekinesis technology. And I thought that was very interesting. And so that's how I always thought of the Tholians, because we never see their full body, of course, on the view screen. We just see, you know, the, the head or face, whatever it may be, of the Tholian that talks to Spock. So when you see an Enterprise and it's like a crab with like legs, I'm like, this is not right. This just seems very... I, I just I don't know. I know that's not canon, right? Because it's in a book, and whenever it's not on screen, it's not established. You can do whatever you want, but that just it didn't sit right to me. It had this like crab leg crawling around Tholian. It didn't seem as dignified as like a floating crystal. So yeah, yeah. I, well, that's that's a different view because I I didn't have that book or I never I had never seen it. But I see where you're going. It, it was for me. It was just um, they were very mysterious and whatnot, and and though. 
I think there was a, you know, they had to do something to kind of tie in the Tholians. Obviously, they they had the um, the Defiant captured and all of that stuff. But it just, yeah, they just couldn't pull it off. And sometimes, you know, when you, when you try to you try to take something like that and and sexy it up or whatnot with um, computer enhancement or whatnot, eh, it, it you know, it's it's tough to to um, to meet everybody's expectations. Hey, they gave it a heck of a run, but it, it just didn't work. Well, I think in the 2000s, television thought like, oh, we have CGI now. We can do anything. Like like back in, I mean, there's a reason why Next Generation and Deep Space Nine and, and, you know, even Voyager were like, okay, these are iconic creatures, but we're not going to try and update them for modern Shrek because it just, we're going to lose something in the translation. And then we got to, you know, the mid-2000s with Enterprise, like, oh, we can do a Tholian and a Gorn now. Check it out, guys. And, of course, you know, a Star Trek fan's like, oh, wait, we haven't seen that thing in, in 40 years. I Bring it on. And you see it, you're like, oh, now I see why you haven't seen it in 40 years. Like, you can't, you cannot recapture the magic. Uh, and I think that's, and, you know, all credit, look, they tried. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying they, they half-assed it by any means, but there's just, there's just something about the, there's a reason the old ones are iconic and the new ones just don't live up to the hype, so... That's right. That's right. Hey, yeah, you know, like I said, they tried. They tried, and for us, right, we 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 hope they succeed because we love the fan service element of it. We love it when they pull something from another series and 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 pull it. In. I mean, that it because it ties everything together, right? And uh, and they 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 gave it a good shot. Just just fell a little short. And then finally, the last creature, uh, if you will, on the original series mm-hmm. would be Yarnak from uh, you know. The Savage Curtain. He's an Excalbian, uh, a rock monster. He's he's very similar to the Horda, where he's just a pile of, of rocks that kind of comes alive, um, and he clicking clicking his hands <laughs> incessantly throughout the episode. Uh, I thought he was a very interesting design. Again, he's an alien race, so they're not like a monster creature. But I guess in this conversation, uh, my my thoughts on him are just any kind of non humanoid entity that the crew encounters kind of counts because you don't you don't see this kind of stuff really. In the '80s and '90s Star Trek, they get away from it, and you know the '60s was a was a magical time where you could you could try stuff and get away with it uh, more so than you could like in the '80s and the '90s. I feel so that's why Star Trek. You know, sometimes it's it's uh, and I've tried I've I've messed up this phrase before on this podcast, and I'm about to begin, but what it's it's reach outreach. It's what is the phrase, Ken? <laughs> Help me out here. Yeah. No. Uh, what well, you're you're asking me to help with wording? That's the great. grasp. That's great. Yeah, it's just outside the grasp. Something yeah, I like think so. I everyone. Think if you've that. seen the Prestige, you know they talk about it in that movie. You guys know what I'm talking about. Anyway, the Reach did yeah, not. That's a good movie. <laughs> that's yeah. like a brilliant movie. <laughs> but they yeah, say was. that it's like man's grasp exceeds his reach or vice. You guys know what we're saying. So in the original series, they weren't afraid to do that, right? Uh, and that's why we got cool stuff like uh, Yarnik. Uh, I thought I thought he was pretty clever. I, I had a great voice. You know, a similar voice we've heard many times on the episode. But I like how he kind of materialized, became all steamy, and you know, it's like okay, he's pretty, pretty th- threatening, you know, and and powerful creature. I liked the clicking of the claws. I thought that added, yeah, I, I don't know why, but I, I thought that just added a little bit more um, villainy to it. Even though he wasn't really a villain, the, the the race was trying to figure out what the difference between good or evil. So if you if you hear two words, good, evil. And you don't have any idea what they what they mean, or or you know is is evil what is good is good what is evil that type of thing trying to trying to figure that out. I thought that these uh, that the, the the design of it was very clever, and you know when you saw what um, in the 
in the in the deleted scenes or in the test scenes from Star Trek V, it really was pretty close, right? When they that rock monster that they they tried to build, um, you know, steaming too, if I remember right, and um, it was it was kind of close to that, I, I thought anyway. So. I know it didn't work out, but it's one of those creatures that I thought, uh, again, you know, Star Trek, very alien, very unique. And, um, yeah, an episode two, I, I really enjoyed right up until the end. And then I just didn't like the ending, but I, I, I thought it was a good, good episode for the most part. You mentioned the voice, uh, of Yarnak. That's actually Bart LaRue who had, who had done three other voices, on the original series, Ken. Can you guess who they are? No, not off the top of my head. <laughs> I know I've heard them many times. You know, his voice is very distinct. Uh, so he and... did one of the providers in the game says of Triskelion, one of okay. the brains. Uh, he was the voice of Trillane's father and Squire of Gothos. Ah, okay. And probably most famously, he was the voice of the Guardian of Forever in City on the Edge of Forever. So. Yeah, I thought he had a like I said he had a great voice, very distinctive, and um, it had a kind of an electronic feel to it when he was an Excalbian. Mm-hmm. But yeah, those are uh, those are all the the creature, monster, non-humanoid uh, entities that the crew encountered. Uh, as far you know, as far as big, obviously there was like clouds and stuff like that, and sometimes little puppets. We're not we're not counting every last little thing, but you know, somebody in a suit <laughs> interacting with uh, the crew is what we're looking at, the monsters, the creatures of the original series. Now, you know, looking at the movies, really not much in the way of that. I mean, there was a shapeshifter, uh, you know, Marcy in Star Trek VI, but again, that's not like a, a monster creature. Uh, they, weren't, they, weren't, they weren't really concerned with that kind of stuff in, in the original series movies. Now you get to the Kelvin timeline. The real, the real one, the, the ones that, that we identified were the monsters on Delta Vega. Mm-hmm. Yep, they had the... Um... The werewolf type thing, the you know running after him, and then of course he gets um, he gets eaten by kind of like a uh, a rendition of Cloverfield, yeah. only you know an ice monster Cloverfield, right? I guess. Yeah, like a a, 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 a bad robot creature number seventeen or whatever, right? <laughs> Just you, yeah, you, you can yeah, tell it's out, off that assembly line of monsters, right? <laughs> it, it definitely was, and you know played off that same thing as. Um, as as it did in Phantom Menace, as you were mentioning off mic earlier, it you know up oh, there's you know not the bigger fish but the bigger creature that comes out of nowhere, right. and just adds to the, um, uh, I guess to to the drama so to speak, and of course you know nothing that um, a huge creature that has uh, the ability I guess to swallow you whole but doesn't like a, a, a stick of fire at all. So. <laughs> Go yeah. get him, Spock. <laughs> yeah, that was contrived to say the least, but uh, you know it. If the original series had the budget of today, I'm sure things like the Mugatu would be some, you know, monster, you know, like that. Uh, just, just obstacles they encounter. They probably run into more of those things. So, I, I keep going back to the Mugatu. <laughs> maybe that should be our T-shirt instead, Ken. Um, maybe, maybe. You, you know, it, it just okay. We're back on the Mugatu. It's poisonous. So it is everything. It, it's a dinosaur. It's a unicorn. It's a gorilla, right? And it's poisonous. It, That's incredible. It's the perfect entity. It's the alien xenomorph of its time. <laughs> <laughs> it's furry, you know, so it's always, you know, it can be comfortably warm. Oh, it, it's unbelievable. It, I guess it can climb trees, too. Why not? It's a gorilla. 
It's amazing. Yeah, it, it really is. It, I want to see him got to in Star Trek Four. I swear. Um, <laughs> and they can do it. Look, I, I feel like you could have like. I, I didn't realize it was going to be a Mugatu conversation tonight, but you could totally yeah. update the Mugatu probably easier than any of these other creatures, right? Because it's it's a guy in an ape suit, and you know we, we've seen you know, some impressive <laughs> ape suits. I mean, look at even uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey, right? Those are some excellent-looking ape suits back then. So even today, when it's not done for comedy, you know they actually take it seriously. You can get a good-looking guy... And a good-looking guy. You can get a good-looking... What are you talking about? <laughs> you can get a good-looking ape Brad suit. Pitt is going to play the Mugatu? <laughs> Genius casting. It's like it's like Ed Norton in uh, Kingdom of Heaven, right? He's under that mask the whole time. You don't even see him, but it's Ed Norton. So uh, there you go. I want to see Brad Pitt as the Mugatu in Star Trek Four. He can fight George Kirk. Uh, George Kirk can get bit by the Mugatu. Oh, my God. There's really nothing else to talk about. We've clearly... Uh, wrap back around plenty of times now uh if we forgot anything please let us know i'm sure you guys will and i'm sure we did because you know we we have and we're not perfect guys we're not the mugatu so <laughs> no we are not the mugatu. <laughs> that's your t-shirt right there we are not the mugatu <laughs> we are not some kind of seriously gone wrong splicing accident <laughs> <laughs> well the monsters and creatures of star trek aren't the only thing we're discussing this week on Trek FM. Here's a quick look at some other things you might have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. That's not to take away anything that they are. They have the same standard of excellence. Um, they are as brilliant, as smart. Um, they're good leaders. But they're guys who go home. They're guys who drink. They're guys who go to the bar. They're guys who get in fist fights. They're you know, guys who have wives and argue. And they're guys who deal with loss. To the journey! I've just got this vision now of Janeway there. Who's a good voyager? Who's a good girl? Well, she liked to, you know, stroke stroke the halls and everything. So Tom Paris would be like, who's a good girl? You want to go for, want to go for a ride? Let's yeah. go. <laughs> Literary Treks. I'm glad we reread this because at the time I did read this, it was when the new movie was out. But now that we've had the three movies, as you just mentioned, and I've seen Star Trek 09 about a hundred times, I'm very familiar with the movie and not as much as with the comic now because I've only read it maybe a, few, a couple of times. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So you can find us on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can always stream or download the MP3 file from our website at trek.fm and grab the RSS link as well. If you're an Apple user, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. That makes it easier for other listeners to find the show as they search iTunes and helps us increase our visibility for new listeners. If you'd like to get in touch with us here at trek.fm, you can always find us on trek.fm contact and look in the sidebar on the show page or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm and please leave us a voice message. You can also contact us through Twitter at trekfm, facebook.com slash trekfm, and the Babel Conference. Type the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, or go to our website at trek.fm and click discussion on the menu bar. So let me talk to you for a second about Patreon, Zach. Patreon is the program that Trek FM employs in order to get donations to keep the network coming to you commercial free. It is wonderful. Most of the hosts here on Trek FM are big contributors to Patreon and found our way onto the network through Patreon. 
So if you can uh, spare any money, uh, and we don't care what the denomination is, it really means a lot to us because there is a lot of content that we're putting up there, a lot of bandwidth, a lot of programming, a lot of equipment that we need. So please, if you can help us out, we'd appreciate it. And all you have to do is go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash trackfm, and you can you can click any donation you want. And we do have some incentives for you. So for $15 a month, you get to join the Patrons Roundtable where you podcast. And, and, you know, again, that is where a lot of us started. It was on the roundtable. I was on the very first one. I had a blast. And if you can contribute $25 or more per month, then you get associate producer credits for whatever show you like. And we love our associate producers. So... Please, 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 if you if you have the ability, it is more than appreciated. And speaking of our associate producers, thank you from the bottom of our hearts to Renee Roberts, Aaron Harvey, Nicholas Anastasio, and of course, Norman Lau. Thank you all for your support of Standard Orbit and Trek FM through Patreon. Now, you can find Renee at Twitter at Emrys underscore 1701. You can find our buddy Aaron Harvey at Geek Filter. You can find Norman Lau at Starfighter1701. And you can, you can uh, interact with Nick and all of us on the Babel Conference, and that's, that's where we find uh, Nick hanging out all the time. Yeah, and you can find me on the Babel Conference. I love to hang out there. And you can reach me through Facebook directly or via Twitter. My handle is at BostonSCPO. That stands for Senior Chief Petty Officer. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at MoronZach, that's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H, and I'm also the host of my own podcast called Always Hold On to Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that young Superman show from the early 2000s, and we're on Twitter at AlwaysMallville, with one S. And also, I'm around the Babel Conference as well, it's always great to talk to you guys on there, making conversation about our shows, other shows, general Star Trek topics, anything really on there. So thanks for listening, everyone. And join us again next time here on Trek.fm for another episode of Standard Orbit.